It's a privilege here to be with you uh, coming from my house uh, this morning. Uh, I want to let you know that um, we have been praying for you, and we as a church are very much uh, putting our eyes on Christ during this time. Obviously, these are unprecedented times uh, in our lifetime, and we're trusting the Lord. Uh, one of my favorite verses uh, this, this week has been Psalm 46. Uh, our God is our refuge and strength in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And uh, we just want to encourage you as a congregation that uh, to continue to trust in the Lord. Um, I'm going to be sharing a message with you this morning that really focuses us on the character of God. Uh, so many things, it's amazing how within two months, so many things that we take for granted have just kind of uh, been shaken. And that has really uh, been something that has reminded me of what my faith needs to be based on. And uh, we want you to know as a church, as our pa the pastoral staff, uh, Pastor Bill and our new senior pastor, Dell, that we're praying for you and that we are uh, asking that, the, that, that God himself would strengthen you and encourage you and that we're also going to be here for you in any way that we can to equip you uh, to walk through this. Uh, I really believe that even though we're social distancing each other uh, from each other, there's a real sense in which uh, we can grow closer to one another and to Christ during this time if we hold fast uh, to his word and to his truth and pray and prayer. So I I'm excited. I'm excited because, you know, God is best at work when we're not in control and when we let him do his thing. And uh, I really believe that he is a God that wants to show us that he is not only in control, but that he is good and he is sovereign and he's going to be our provider. So I'd like to take a moment just to uh, remind you uh, to continue to check with us through Facebook and through Instagram and on our website. Uh, we're going to try to keep those things up to date and let you know what is happening, what's not happening. We are going to continue to regularly post things on our Facebook page and on our website just short messages from our pastors, uh, and words of encouragement, uh, any way that we can come alongside you and just uh, remind you that we're in this together and that we're trusting God and fixing our eyes on what's most important. So let me uh, begin with uh, just a quick prayer for our congregation and for our community and just also for our country during this time. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you again that you are um, our refuge and our, our source of strength uh, and our shelter in, in times of difficulty, Lord. Um, you are a God that will not be shaken. Uh, nothing surprises you, and there's nothing uh, that your resurrection uh, cannot overcome or has not already overcome. And so, Lord, our hope is in you, and we want to declare, God, that we uh, are going to cling to that promise that uh, you will never leave us nor forsake us, Lord. So I pray, God, that we would be of sober mind and that you would help us to be alert and uh, be aware, God, of how you are working and how you want to use us to bless others and encourage others during this time. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that you'd strengthen our congregation. I pray that we would not be a, a congregation that worries, but a congregation that prays and trusts in you and loves others that you put in our path. God, I pray that you'd fill us with your spirit during this time. And uh, Lord, we, we commit our way to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, this, this morning we're going to be taking a look at uh, the book of Acts. We have just continued, uh, we're just finishing up today our series on prayer. And you know we have been walking through the Lord's Prayer. And uh, I hope that it's been an encouragement to you and that you can continue to uh, use the Lord's Prayer as a model for your prayer life. Uh, D.A. Carson is one of uh, my favorite teachers at Trinity and uh, also an author and speaker. And uh, one of the things that he did was a few years ago, he said, if you really want to find out how a Christian's doing, ask them how their prayer life is. <laughs> and sometimes that can be very challenging because that is usually the acid test about where we are with God. And uh, the one thing that Jesus was asked by his disciples more than anything, if you remember, even more than how to love others or how to do miracles, it was how to pray. And they saw Jesus' life and they were amazed that his power and his strength came from his connection with the Heavenly Father. And so that's why we chose to do this series because as we started this new year in 2020, we said the most important thing is our intimacy with God and our relationship with him. And wow, hasn't that proven to be true? As we're going through these difficult times, um, the one thing that cannot change, the one person that can hold all things together is Jesus Christ. And so that's what we want to do. We want to continue our series on prayer today. And I just have an amazing story from the book of Acts to share with you that I think will be very encouraging. And so if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to grab your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 12. And uh, as you're doing that, I just want to remind you that every major season of awakening in Christianity, in church history, whether it's been in a church, in a college campus, or in a workplace, every single one has been characterized by an intense, persistent corporate prayer, God's people praying earnestly. Um, one person said this, I think it was Samuel Chadwick said, the one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from prayer. Our enemy fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Prayer turns ordinary mortals into men of power. It brings fire, it brings rain, it brings life, it brings God. There is no power like that of prevailing prayer. That's Samuel Chadwick. Samuel Zwemer said, The history of missions is the history of answered prayer. I am convinced that when we stand before God, we will discover that every soul ever, ever brought to a knowledge of Christ was in some way related to intercessory prayer. This morning, we want to talk about intercessory prayer, which is praying on behalf of others. And if there was ever a time that we could bless and encourage others in the world around us, it would be to pray for them. And so that's kind of where we're going to go as we look at Acts chapter 12. Now, I know some of you are, are skeptical because this is, a, this is one of those issues where you kind of wonder, you know, uh, sometimes you see that when you pray, things happen. And then there's times when we pray and it seems like nothing's happening. And so the, the big question that you often probably wonder is, does prayer really work? And uh, I understand where that could be a challenge. And we're going to look at that today. And we're going to look at that uh, through scripture. And so uh, uh, let me just start off by giving you a little bit of a context. Uh, the book of Acts is, was also written by Luke, uh, and Luke and Acts were, the gospel of Luke and Acts were meant to, to go together, and Luke gives a lot of teachings on prayer uh, from Jesus, and we're going to look at a few of those today as we intersperse with the story. Um, but in the book of Acts, 
when whenever there's whenever the church is praying, things explode. In Acts chapter one, if you remember correctly, uh, they were um, they prayed in the upper room for ten straight days, and then the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And he filled them with, with, with himself, and they were speaking in different languages. Other people were understanding and hearing those languages. And they, uh, Peter got up and he preached, and over 3,000 people were saved as a result of the disciples being faithful in prayer in chapter 1. And then in chapter 4, they're walking around and they're healing people. They're being persecuted, and they prayed for boldness. And when they prayed for boldness, the city of Jerusalem was turned upside down. By the end of Acts chapter 5, the church in Jerusalem is over 10,000 people big. And some of their harshest critics, like the Jewish priests and eventually Paul himself, are getting saved. And then there's Acts 12, which we're going to look at today. And in the following chapter in Acts 13, it says that they were worshiping and they were praying and they were fasting. And God raises up Paul and Barnabas to be, a mission, to be missionaries. And so throughout the whole book of Acts, there's this strong emphasis on the church praying together. And what's automatically, what's interesting about me being in a house and sharing this with you is that many of the, church, uh, of the churches in the book of Acts were house churches, which is ironic because now in a situation that we're in right now with the coronavirus, um, we're forced in many ways to be in smaller groups and be in our houses and, and to pray in different ways that we never thought we could pray together. And so it's amazing how God uh, can work when God's people come together. Well, let's take a look at this uh, passage uh, as we read it. We're going to read uh, the whole chapter. I'm going to stop at certain points, though. Let me pray for us, though, before we begin. God, we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you, God, that the the, the story of your people in church history, um, the way you began your church, it all began with people waiting upon you and calling out to you and praying. God, I pray that this um, morning that you give us a heart for your heart. And your heart, Lord, longs for people to know you and to experience you. Uh, Father, we pray for those who are hurting as a result, Lord, of this, um, this uh, virus situation, God. Maybe they're worried about layoffs. They're worried about um, financial situations. They're worried about family members. God, I ask in Jesus' name that you would be Lord uh, over their situation that you would be Jehovah Jireh. Remind them that you are their provider. You are the one constant in this world of, of, uh, of change and disruption, God. I pray in Jesus' name that you would um, remind them of how faithful you have been in the past and how you promised to be faithful to us in, in the future. Lord, I pray, God, that you'd give us your Holy Spirit as we look at your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm reading from Acts chapter 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. So right off the bat here, we see that um, the church in the book of Acts is exploding and yet at the exact same time, there's persecution, there's hardship, there's difficulty, and there's even death. James, the brother of John, one of the sons of thunder, is put to death by the sword. And so, and then Peter is arrested. He's one of the main leaders. These are the main leaders. And it, it looks like Peter is going to also be put to death. 
difficult times. Let's continue. It says this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing Peter over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard in, at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Now, the key verse I want you to see here is verse 5. If you have a Bible or if you have something, I just want to encourage you to highlight it because it says here, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. God was at work, and yet his people were praying earnestly for him. That word earnestly in the, um, in the original Greek is ekteneo, and it's only occurs twice in the whole New Testament. Uh, it, it occurs in 1 Peter, which I'll show you a little bit later. But what it basically means is it means to stretch out the hand, to reach out. It means to be stretched out. In prayer, it conveys the idea of praying fervently without ceasing and not relaxing in effort. This kind of prayer is a continuous prayer of straining and stretching to gain the answer. Um, these people were obviously scared. They were worried. They were concerned. And what did they do? They took it to God. And they said, we are going to pray. And as, you can, as, the, as the story is un, unfolds, you're going to see that they were praying throughout the night. <laughs> and uh, it was almost like an all-night prayer vigil. But they were praying earnestly. And so my big idea this morning that I really want you to take home is this. The church thrives in difficult times when, it, when we pray earnestly and completely rely on the character of God to accomplish his, accomplish his mission. Let me read that again. The church thrives in difficult times. How do we thrive in difficult times? When we pray earnestly and completely rely on the character of God to accomplish his mission. They're praying and all of a sudden, this angel appears in this jail cell and, and, and tells Peter to get up. Let's continue the story in verse 8. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that, that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked through the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. <laughs> so here's Peter all of a sudden just being led out. He thinks it's kind of a vision. This is almost an incredibly supernatural event that's happening. This, this, um, this angel leads him not only out through everybody, out of the prison, out through the gate, into the streets, and then leaves them. And he's just standing there, freaked out. Uh, look at verse 11. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. 
When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So this is where they were all praying for, for him earnestly. And he goes to the house. It says, look at verse uh, 13. It says, Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. Now, if you don't think God has a sense of humor, read the, check this out. Verse 14, when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without even opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. When they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet, and he described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. So he doesn't even stick around, but he just long enough to show them that he's there, that God had answered their prayer. And what's so funny is that they were praying and God had already answered their prayer, was already working, and they didn't realize it. And then when it happened, they didn't really believe it at first because there's no way that they thought it could have happened. But they really didn't realize that the God that they serve is able to do things beyond what they ask or imagine. My guess is they probably were thinking, oh, man, I hope he just doesn't get... Uh, you know, like in, in Acts chapter four, maybe he'll get to stand before the guards and testify and then they'll let him go or they'll just have him beaten. Uh, I just hope that he doesn't die, you know. And lo and behold, he gets literally taken out of the prison and brought to them right then and there. Um, this is an amazing story. Let me finish it up real fast. In verse uh, uh, 18, it says, in the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards in order that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Verse 20 says he had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. Now look at what it says in verse 21. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing the, his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted in response to this address, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. And this chapter concludes with verse 24. It says, but the word of God continued to spread and to flourish. It's an amazing story. And it's an, a story of how God executes his justice. When we pray, what we are doing is we are entrusting the outcome to God. And that is the, probably the most difficult thing that a lot of us struggle with. Letting go of control and just saying, okay, I'm gonna let you have the outcome, God. 
And I think about the situation that we're in right now. We don't know what the final outcome is going to be. We don't know how long there's going to be a, a lockdown or in shelter and how long schools are going to be closed and people are going to be not able to go to work and families not be together. There's this idea of complete uncertainty and we don't really have a lot of control. And often we don't trust the people who, the leaders that God puts in control sometimes, or even though we need to. And I think what's interesting here is that God calls us in these difficult times to pray. The one thing we can do is trust in the one who is in control and who knows what's best, and that is to call out on his name. Our big idea this morning is the church thrives in difficult times when we pray earnestly and completely rely on the character of God to accomplish his mission. Did you see at the end it says, but the word of God continued to flourish and spread? The goal is for the gospel to go forth. And when we're committed to his mission and prayer and we rely on his character, he's gonna give us everything we need to make it through difficult times. Let's look at this real fast. Uh, I put down number one, the church prays that prays earnestly recognizes that the, na- the nature of the spiritual battle. Remember way back at the beginning of this passage, there's a battle going on and, there, and Herod has um, arrested them and, and arrested some of their leaders and he's already put James to death by the sword. And there's an intense battle going on. And sometimes it's not until we realize the nature of the spiritual battle. It's not a battle against the authorities. Uh, of uh, on earth, the kings and the queens. It's really a battle in the spiritual realm. What does Ephesians 6 say? Ephesians 6 says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of the darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. I don't know about you, but a lot of times I feel like it's easy to see uh, the government or um, uh, people who are in authority or people who are not on my uh, doing what I think would be best. They're like the enemies or people who are against Christians as being the enemies. But scripture doesn't say that. Scripture says that we should pray for people in authority. We should love our enemies. The real enemy, the real battle is Satan. And there's a spiritual war going on here. And the more we realize that, the more we're going to realize the necessity of prayer. Uh, I want to read you uh, uh, John Piper's quote, and we have it up here on a slide. It says this, Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of, of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It's not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. <laughs> Until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is for the the accomplishment of a wartime mission. I love that quote because I had a professor at at Trinity uh, when I was there who who, uh, was an expert in spiritual warfare. And one of the things that he would say was that prayer is on the front lines. Because he had he had a lot of experience in different countries with lots of different spiritual encounters, actually power encounters with Satan. And he would say over and over again that the battle is won and fought in prayer. And, and I really believe that. Uh, a lot of times we get so um, 
just complacent in my, and I do, I do too in my prayer life where I don't really realize that uh, what's really going on here is the battle for souls. And the only thing that, the thing that, the number one thing that I need to be about is about praying uh, for Christ to reign. You know, in the book of Daniel, it says uh, that there was a, a time when Daniel was fasting and praying, and he's fasting for like 21 days and praying. And finally, an angel comes to him and says, I was delayed in getting to you because by this other prince of Persia, this, this, this other spiritual being. We don't know what's happening in the spiritual realm, but the Bible says that when we pray, uh, we move the hand of God. And there's angels and, there's, and there's, a, there's a spiritual war going on. So the church that prays earnestly recognizes the nature of the spiritual battle. Number two, the church that prays earnestly relies on the goodness of God. Uh, and this is where I want to share with you that word I, I mentioned earlier, where it says in verse five that the, that the church was praying earnestly. Actineo is also used in 1 Peter 1, where he says, since you have an obedience to to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, then fervently love one another from the heart. You might remember when we did this uh, verse during the series in First Peter, um, where uh, Pastor Bill encourages us to love one another deeply from the heart fervently. Interestingly enough, it's the same word. The idea that we are to love one another deeply and we are to pray earnestly. It's the same word, and it's only used twice in Scripture and in these two areas. Wesley Duell uh, wrote a book called A Blaze for God, and he takes this idea, and this is what he says. I have this quote for you. He says, fervency is born of love. I think a lot of us sometimes are afraid to be earnest and fervent in our faith because we think it's going to result in anger or judgmentalism, and maybe that's what we've seen. But Scripture says that our, our earnest and fervent desire is connected to love. Look at what he says. He says, fervency is born of love. Love is the very nature of God. His heart is aflame with love for us and for his world. The flame that burns is the heart in the heart of God that will set your heart aflame if you will draw close enough to him. His love radiates to your heart. As you pray, his love places on your heart deep concerns for the needs he sees and wants you to see. His love, as it imbues you, makes your prayer a sweet perfume before him. God's love is dynamic. It adds love, desire, and zeal to your praying. That's why Jesus said, pray for your enemies. One of the best things we could do during this time is when we talk to people, we run into people in the stores. We, we see people uh, in our, our neighbors uh, or we talk to people on the phone. Or It's just to offer to pray for them and, and, and to do that as an act of love. I have very rarely, uh, of all the times I've ever asked people to, if, I, if I could pray for them, very rarely has anybody ever said no to that. And I believe that during this time, this could be a way that we could practically love people is just by saying, hey, how can I pray for you? And it's interesting that um, our prayers, the church that prays earnestly, it relies on the love and the goodness of God. Now, why do I say the goodness of God? Because remember I told you Luke wrote the book of Acts and Luke also in, uh, in Luke 19, uh, Luke 11, when Jesus was teaching on prayer, do you remember what Jesus said? He said, 
So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. Jesus is inviting us to be persistent in prayer. Now look at what he says here. He says, for everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And then he goes into this analogy about fathers. And I think there's a really important point here. Look at this, verse 11, Luke 11, 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an, an, an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I've always wondered, it's interesting, why does Jesus call us evil at the most, at our most, at, our, at the spot where we are the most loving to our own children? I think he's doing it to contrast, to show us how much more God the Father loves us. God the Father is good. You know, last week, Pastor Bill talked about the lies of the enemy, deliver us from the evil one. And the Bible says that the number one strategy of Satan is, is, is to lie. And his desire is to get us to fear. And more than anything, he wants us to question the goodness of God. And I think what's really important about prayer, especially in the book of Acts, but also through Jesus' life, is that all of our prayers are rooted, rely on the goodness of God. If you begin to doubt the goodness of God, chances are you're not going to go to him. I know there's been times in my life where I was wondering, what is God doing? How do I know? Uh, we all go through dark times. And for some of you, this may be a very dark time because you don't know what's going to happen or you maybe uh, have someone that's uh, ill um, and doesn't seem to be getting better. There might be some hopeless situations. And in those dark times, it's very interesting. It's very, it's very easy to begin to doubt whether God is good. And I think Jesus wanted to reassure us in Luke 11 that, you know what, no matter what, he is our father and he is a good father. And he will always give good gifts to his children in his time. And, and the one good gift that he desires to give us the most is his Holy Spirit, his himself. And you know, he's already given us his son, Jesus. And now he offers us the Holy Spirit. And that's just an incredible uh, reality. And so I encourage you as you're praying, ask yourself, what are you relying on? Uh, for me, it's easy to rely on circumstances. If I can see God doing something, then I get more excited about prayer. But the scripture said we should rely on the goodness of God, on his goodness. The church that prays earnestly recognizes the nature of the battle is spiritual. The church that prays earnestly relies on the goodness of God. And the church that prays earnestly releases the power of God. You know, I, the better word is unleashed. You say, Tony, are you saying that if I pray more, I will get what I want? No. I, I think scripturally, the Bible says if we pray more earnestly, we will unleash what God wants for us. Remember as we've been going through the Lord's Prayer, what we learned when we were supposed to pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The purpose of prayer is not to get our will, but to unleash God's will. And that's what happens in this story. As they're praying, the power of God is released. Um, look at what James says. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. 
Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. When Elijah prayed, God worked. Now, immediately you might say, well, what about all the times when I pray and nothing happens? How do I respond to that? Well, Elijah had times of, of fear and times of depression, and times where he wondered what God was going to do. And he even got to the point where he said, God, take my life. And that's where God met him, told him to sleep and to eat and to get some rest and to reorientate his mind and realize that God was still God during those darkest times. I want to read you a quote that might encourage you uh, today, especially if you're going through a dark time. It's actually two quotes. One is from the famous movie, The Princess Bride. Uh, I think the dreaded pirate said this, life is pain, your highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. <laughs> I love that quote. And I think it's true that Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Another quote I heard this week as well from Tim Keller was this, when you go through darkness, if you don't feel God's there, but you hold on anyway, and you say, you know what? You are God, and I'm not. And I'm not getting anything out of this right now, but I'm still gonna pray. I'm still gonna be faithful. I'm gonna worship, and I'm still gonna love my neighbor. And I'm still gonna do the things that I ought to do. That will turn you into a person who is not self-centered, who is not in a transactional relationship up and down with God all the time. It'll turn you into a person of endurance, of stability, of strength, and of greatness. And when that darkness lifts, because it will, you will be stronger through that. You say, Tony, how do you get through that? Prayer, praying. Um, that quote comes from uh, a sermon that Tim Keller did on Psalm 88, one of the darkest psalms, where he literally, the psalmist literally says, darkness is my friend. And you know what? Sometimes it feels like that. And I, and I want to encourage you that when you pray, not only do you rely on God's goodness and remind yourself of the truth, but you release the power of God. And, and, and that darkness can lift. Uh, and it may not be in our timing, but it, we know that God is faithful. God is faithful and he is good. The church that prays earnestly releases the power of God. And the church that prays earnestly relegates itself or entrusts itself to the justice of God. You know, I was speaking of the Princess Bride. I was doing a little research on that. And I think it's a Mandy Pantikin, the uh, actor who, the fam who had the famous line, you know, my name is Intigo Montoya. And you killed my father, prepare to die. Something like that is the video. I can't, uh, I can't say it right now. But he has that famous line in that movie. But he, they asked him what his favorite line was. And he said several years later, he was somehow watching the movie. And he was watching it in, uh, with, um, uh, with subtitles because he was busy doing something else. And he saw the line. And he said that it just moved him so much. And it's the line at the end of the movie where he says, All my life I've been in the revenge business. And now that it's over, I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. And, and this actor said that that is the most important line in the movie because he said, everything in our culture teaches us to take matters into our own hands and to take revenge. 
And that whole character in that movie is looking to always take revenge. Um, and he said, now he realized that, you know what, that's not how you do life. And um, I really think that relates to the story because what does the church do? They're praying, they're earnestly praying. And guess who the one who executes the justice is? It's God. The church that prays earnestly does not take matters into its own hands and try to execute um, uh, their own justice, especially to those who are evil. It trusts God and it, it entrusts the justice to God. And what does God do? He strikes down Herod. He knew what Herod was doing. And this is one of those situations where he does it very quickly and very forcefully and very visibly. But there's other times where we have to entrust the judgment to God in, in, in the afterlife. You know, First Peter says Jesus did that when he was being tortured and crucified and they hurled insults at him. It says he, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And so one of the things that prayer does to us is it changes our hearts and it enables us to say, God, I'm going to believe that you are just. I'm going to entrust the justice to you. You're going to be the one that's going to fight for us. You're going to fight our battles for us. So four things. The church that prays earnestly recognizes the nature of the battle. It's a spiritual war. That's why we're on our knees. That's why we pray. Um, number two, we rely on the goodness of God. That's what, that's what drives us to God, that he is good, that he's loving. It's that fervency of love. That's why we pray for others. When we pray earnestly, we release the power of God. God can do anything. And then it, 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 we, we entrust ourselves to the justice of God. And then the last one is this. Um, the church that prays earnestly results in the spread of the gospel. Verse 24, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. I want to go back to the justice and just read a verse from Luke again, Luke 18. It says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus had told that parable of the widow who kept begging and going to the judge and going to the judge. And this judge was unjust and did not care and was nothing at all like our Heavenly Father. And that's why he says he, he doesn't want us to compare uh the unjust judge necessarily to how God is, but to contrast them and say, if this unjust judge will give this woman justice, how much more will your heavenly father who is just give justice to those who cry out to him? And, uh, but then he throws this little thing in there and I love this verse. It just challenges me. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Somebody commented me this week about how quickly things could change in just a couple of weeks and how the stock market could be so high and then go so low and everybody could be riding so high and then all of a sudden so afraid and so uh, worried and so separate from each other. And the comment was, you know, it's amazing because when you read the, the, about the end times, the Antichrist comes, you know, there's gonna, things are gonna happen. And sometimes we wonder, if things can happen that fast. And scripture seems to say that it does happen within a matter of months. And the, the, the idea was, you know, that 
Wow, are we prepared for the end times? That's what came to my mind. And this verse is so powerful in Luke 18 because Jesus is saying, don't give up when you pray. Keep praying because God is just. But then he says, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will you and I still believe? That's a challenge. It's a challenge for all of us. Jim Cimbala said, Sunday morning attendance uh, shows you how popular. Sunday morning attendance shows you how popular the pastor, the pastor is. The prayer meeting attendance shows you how popular Jesus is. One of the books that, that transformed my life was Jim Cimbala's book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Uh, we were going through a time in our church where we um, had lost a pastor to uh, a moral failure. And um, God was working in our church leadership to really learn what prayer was about. And so we took a trip. A, a group of our staff went to the Brooklyn Tabernacle uh, for a week. We drove out to New York and we were out there. Many of us were out there as a staff. I wasn't able to go actually on the, on the van ride, but I was reading the book and we were learning about what God was doing through that church that really found, was founded on the essence of prayer. And uh, one of my good brothers in Christ, who was a fellow minister along with me, uh, one was out there and he was at the tabernacle, uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle that, that week, and he was, he was praying. And the Lord just led him, the Holy Spirit is almost like she said, to pray for your wife, pray for your wife, pray for your wife right now. And his wife was back in Chicago working at the Moody Bible Institute. And, uh, you know, he just kind of, and, and so he just started writing. This was way before cell phones and before the internet. And so he was writing uh, just, you know, uh, prayers in his journal and just praying for for his wife, and uh, he didn't know what was happening, but at exactly the same time, um, his wife was getting out of work and was going to her car, and as she opened the car door, a guy just shoved her from behind in the back of the car and pulled out a, a gun and said, hey, um, it was, was threatening her with her life and, and with even more than that, and uh, at that moment, uh, she just you know did what she knew to do, and she just called in the name of Jesus. And she said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to leave. And uh, the guy looked at her and, uh, and said, you're right. And he literally left. And all that happened uh, when Kent found, ended up, uh, when my friend actually found out, communicating with his wife, he found out that happened the exact same time that the Holy Spirit had led him to be praying for her. Um, when they put everything together. And, you know, God does that many times. When we're walking in the Spirit, He puts things on our hearts to pray for. He puts people on our hearts to pray for. And when we are in threatening situations and difficult times, the one thing we can always do is call out in the name of the Lord. And that's what my brother's wife did. He, he said, you know what, I'm going to, she said, I'm going to call in the name of the Lord. And I believe, I believe God was working. You know, God is working in ways that we can't see him even before we pray. But when we pray, it's almost like we get to be a participant in what he's doing. And that's what's so amazing. Um, we had a situation uh, at that same church uh, during a, a, a time close to them where um, one of the, the young ladies who was giving birth, and I believe it was to her, her second child, it was a home birth, and she uh, was... Um, had some complications and she had to go in and that the child was healthy. The newborn was healthy, but she wasn't. Uh, she actually got amniotic fluid into her bloodstream. 
uh, and it was an embolism. And uh, the doctor said, we're not convinced that she was going to make it through the night. And so uh, her husband called up our pastor at the time and said, we need to pray. And uh, we, 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 we got the church together to pray. It was a prayer vigil at the church. And we were praying throughout the whole night. We were earnestly praying. And uh, uh, she made it. She made it through the night. And then the, the next day, different ones of us would go through the, to the hospital and pray for her. And uh, she ended up living through this and, and becoming healthy. And, and a doctor came out and said, he said it was a miracle. He said that he couldn't explain it any other way. Um, God, when God's people pray, uh, it moves the hand of God. Yeah, prayer will change you, but it also has the ability to change circumstances. That's how God has ordained it. Um, I want to encourage you to check out the book, The Case for Miracles, uh, Lee Strobel. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Troy Smith came to our, our, our Edge youth group, and he shared uh, this incredible story that, uh, that Lee Strobel shared with our, with our youth about um, Barbara Snyder, who was um, completely, uh, had multiple, multiple cirrhosis and was in hospice. And they were ready for her to die. Her, her hands and her feet were crumbled up. She was on an oxygen machine. machine. She only had one half lung working. Um, she had a, tra- a tracheotomy tube. She couldn't eat. Um, they had said that they weren't going to, uh, uh, if she had gotten pneumonia, they weren't going to uh, give her anything else to, to, to fight it. It was at the end. But one of her friends called Moody Bible Institute and said, would you please pray for Barbara? And, and Moody Bible Institute had this radio show, WMBI, and they started praying for her. And we know that over 450 people were praying for her because over 450 people sent in letters, at least 450, sent in letters that said, Barbara, we're praying for you, we're praying for you. And on June 7th, uh, one day, she was sitting there in, in, in hospice with, her, um, with, her, with, with two friends that had come to read her the cards. And all of a sudden, just like Peter, who saw an angel, all of a sudden she heard a voice coming from the back of the window and she said, it said, get up my child, my child, get up and walk. And she knew that that voice was, 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 was not audible to the other people in the room. And she knew it was, it was, it was a divine voice. And she, she told the people right then and there, she said, you know what? I, I, I just heard God telling me to get up and walk, go and get my family. And they went and they got her family. And, and, and when they jumped up, she jumped up and she just, she, she, she couldn't believe it. She just jumped up and she jumped out of bed and she stared at her feet for the first time in seven years. Her feet were, were straight. Her hands were opened. She was half blind. She was legally blind. And all of a sudden she could see. And this, this miracle is documented by two doctors who have said that this was an impossible reality that God could not, you know, no one else could have done this except God. And today, Barbara is a wife of a pastor in, in a small church in Virginia, and her story is documented in Lee Strobel's Case for Miracles, and it's, it's just amazing. But all these stories have a lot of things in common, and, and one of the main things is, is that when people pray, when God's people earnestly pray during difficult times, and they completely rely on the character of God, um, it, it it changes them and it changes what God wants to do. And, and, I, and I, right now, you know, I know many of us, even, even my wife and I, we're, we're, we're going through challenges. You know, a couple of weeks ago in dad's group, we were, um, uh, 
reading the story of the of the boy who was demon possessed and he had some type of epilepsy but the scripture says he was demonized he was his his symptoms were of epilepsy and the disciples could not cast out the demon and it says that Jesus came and he did it and the man the the the, the um the father said Jesus if you can you know and Jesus said, if I can, anything is possible for you who believes. And the man was so honest. I loved his honesty. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And that was his prayer. And Jesus took the boy and he immediately uh, healed him. And the demon came out. And it looked like he was dead. And, the, and Jesus lifted him up and he was set free. And later on, his disciples came up to him and said, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus said something very interesting. He said, this kind can only come out by prayer. Now, don't you think the disciples were praying? Hadn't they learned to pray in Jesus' name? There's something about a prayer, a certain type of prayer, where you are abandoning yourself completely on the character of God. And you are completely relying on him. That you completely let go of the outcome and you say, God, if you're going to do something, do it. And, and that's the kind of prayer that, where, that moves mountains and that changes the world. Does that mean God will always, you know, um, God will always do that? I know some of those, in, the, in some of the, the texts in the manuscripts say prayer and fasting. And you say, well, why does it say fasting? You know, because there's something about fasting that gets us to stop relying on our physical needs and start relying more on God's spiritual needs. You know, every time somebody has a miracle or experiences something, people say, well, okay, why you? And what about this? I had a friend who, um, at 9-11, who uh, was in our small group, in our life group at the time, and his cousin was one of the pilots that went down in the plane in Pennsylvania. He was really upset because his, um, his, his cousin died. And we were talking about all these people who were miraculously saved by um, who, you know, it seemed like by coincidence or God incidents that they weren't in the towers or they didn't die or they, something kept them from there. And he said, well, what about my cousin who died? And, you know, as we read this story, James died. There, in every battle, there are casualties. And so we can't explain why James was killed by the sword and Peter was saved. I can't explain to you why John Smith, the boy in the breakthrough movie, who fell through the ice and was underneath the ice and drowned for 43 minutes and, 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 and did not have uh, his heart stopped. And, 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 his, and the, 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 the surgeon said, you're, you're going to, went up to his mom and, and went and said, your, your son is dead. And the mom walked in and said, Holy Spirit, bring back my son. And, and, and boom. He had a heartbeat again. And the question that everybody asked him was, why you and not someone else? And the boy said, I don't know why. You know, God chooses to heal some and not to heal others. And God, but here's what prayer does. Prayer says, I'm gonna leave it to you. I'm gonna trust you, God. I'm gonna trust you and I'm gonna abandon myself to you. No matter what happens, Lord, I'm relying on your goodness I'm going to ask you, I'm going to entrust myself to your justice. I'm going to pray earnestly that the gospel is spread through this and that your mission is accomplished. 
And that's, that's, that's what God calls us to, to pray. I don't know where you're at with things spiritually right now, but I just want to encourage you to, to be praying. There's one last verse I want to close with before we pray, and it's a promise from the Old Testament. It was given in a unique time, but I believe, I believe there's a principle in it, and it's from Second uh, Chronicles 7. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I know that that verse was given in a specific time to the, the, the country of Israel for what they were going through, but there really is a principle there. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, we know that God will hear and he will be able to accomplish his will. And that's the whole point here. Prayer unleashes God's will. And that's what we want to do right now. Would you join me in praying? Let's pray for those who are uh, in, uh, going through difficult times through this crisis. Father, we pray for our vulnerable population. God, protect our elderly and those suffering from chronic disease. Provide for the poor, especially the uninsured. God, we ask in Jesus' name, we pray for our local, state, and federal governments. God, help our elected officials as they allocate the necessary resources for combating, combating this pand pandemic. Help them to provide more tests. Lord, we pray for our scientific community leading the charge to understand the disease and communicate its gravity. God, give them knowledge, wisdom, and a persuasive voice. Father, we pray for those with mental health challenges who feel isolated, anxious, and helpless, God. Provide, we ask for them, every necessary support. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name, Father, for workers in a variety of industries facing layoffs and financial hardship. God, keep them from panic and inspire your church to generously support them. Father, we pray for families with young children uh, at home for the foreseeable future. God, help mothers and fathers to partner together creatively for the care and flourishing of their children. For single mothers and fathers, grow their networks of support. Father, for parents who cannot stay home from work but must find care for their children, we ask in Jesus' name that you present them with creative solutions, Lord. And God, we pray for pastors and church leaders faced with the challenges of social distancing. Help them to creatively imagine how to pastor their congregation and love their cities well. And finally, Lord, we pray for Christians in every neighborhood, community, and city. May your Holy Spirit inspire us to pray, to give, to love, to serve, and to proclaim the gospel that the name of Jesus Christ might be glorified around the world. And we pray for the frontline healthcare workers. We thank you for their vocational call to serve us. We pray, God, keep them safe and healthy. Keep their families safe and healthy. Help them to be knowledgeable about the diagnosis and treatment of this disease, as well as the changing protocols. Help them to stay clear-minded in the midst of the surrounding panic. God, deliver them from anxiety for their own loved ones, aging parents, children, spouses, and roommates. And give them compassion for every patient in their care. Provide for them financially, especially if they fall ill and are unable to work. We love you, God. We thank you for your faithfulness. Help us to be people of prayer.
for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that we would like to really encourage you during this time is uh, not only to be praying for us and praying for one another, but also just to stay in communication with us. Uh, our church phone number is 847-634-3635, and it will be monitored 24-7. If there's any way that uh, we could be of a resource to you, feel free to connect with us uh, via, via phone or via email. Um, primarily, though, the best way to stay up to date would be through looking at the Facebook posts as well as on our Facebook page, but also our Instagram and our website. Um, our three pastors will be uh, putting up uh, encouraging videos for you to watch, uh, to stay connected, and to be a blessing on those uh, on the Facebook page and on the website regularly. So please, uh, you know, as much as you can, uh, let's let's all try to stay connected during this time.